Fastest Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Permack. So this is our final new episode of 2019 and of the decade. So we're going to do things a little bit differently. One minute on each of the past 10 years. And I'm pleased to be joined on this rapid retrospective by Axios co-founder Mike Allen. I've been practicing my fast talking. Fantastic. So let's do this. And let's start in 2010. And the topic here is the Arab Spring, when social media first proved its ability to enable large-scale political movements. And for those who don't remember, the first viral moment kind of was tragic. A 26-year-old Tunisian man set himself on fire in front of a government building, but it set off a wave of democracy protests captured on cell phone cameras and was distributed through social media. So, Mike, today we see often social media as a thorn in the side of democracy. But at the top of the decade, it seemed like the thing that was going to enable democracy. It sure was. And it was a start of the decade's youth quake as well. These were largely younger Arabs, including that 20-something Tunisian fruit seller. And we've seen quite an arc because at the end of the decade, we, of course, have Greta Thunberg and we have, once again, unrest in Arab countries. So let's go to 2011. And the big thing here, to me at least, was Occupy Wall Street or the beginning of Occupy Wall Street. And at the time, it seemed like it was kind of this big pushback, obviously, against what had happened, the financial crisis and a lot of yelling at bank CEOs. But arguably, it also planted the seeds for Bernie Sanders in 2016 and what we're seeing today with both Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and kind of this growing push among younger Americans towards socialism. You're right. Capitalism rethought something that we could not have predicted. You see increasing number of young people saying that they're open to socialism. Now, there's some question about uh, how it's defined. I think people here are social. They mean something different than people who grew up with socialism. But for sure, capitalism is being questioned in the political sphere. And at the end of the decade, you had fascinatingly corporations saying, we're looking at capitalism differently. We're not just looking out for our shareholders. We also are looking out for employees, suppliers, and our communities. Occupy Wall Street was the first time we really heard a lot of the 1% versus the 99% or vice versa. Is that something, that dichotomy, something that's going to persist for kind of the foreseeable future? Well, sure, because the uh, reality that the inequality is more than ever, there's no sign of that closing. And I think that what we're seeing is more and more people being aware of it, reacting to it. So let's go to 2012. And this was the year that both Colorado and Washington state legalized recreational marijuana, sparking the birth of new industry and a broader relaxation of so-called sin businesses. Uh, there are 11 states and District of Columbia that have now legalized marijuana for recreational use. From your perspective, Mike, it's it's interesting. This was kind of this is you know we talk about kind of the rise a bit of socialism among young people, but this was one of the times when libertarianism seemed to kind of take hold in America, really almost regardless of political party. It did, and we see it also with sports betting across the country. Something that is just going to be bigger next year. Dan, you've done a lot of great coverage of this, and you pointed out, putting on your pro rata hat, that this provided investing opportunities on the early side of uh, infant industries. Consider the OK Boomer meme. Like, is this also a rejection of the politics of the, particularly the late 70s, 80s, and, and 90s, the just say no to drugs? Is this really kind of America now kind of repudiating a lot of that politics? It's a smart way to look at that because we're seeing it in other parts of the political sphere, including, of course, criminal justice reform, where we're seeing that the war on drugs did nothing 
to stop drugs, but there definitely were lots of injustices that are becoming increasingly apparent. Let's go to 2013. This is when the Edward Snowden leaks appear. What's your big takeaway from the entire Snowden experience? Yeah, it's that we realized how much information was being vacuumed up about us. We realized how vulnerable it was. This was the big cyber breach. But year by year, we constantly saw smaller retailers, others who were seeing breaches. And we came to realize how vulnerable our info was, how much of our info had been vacuumed up. And it's something that I think has not been fully reckoned with. We still give away a shocking amount of data in return for cool services, and we have not yet paid the check for that. It's also triggered the rise of kind of encrypted communications backed by tech companies, which is now on a collision with governments, including ours. And it was also the return of the term whistleblower for the first time in a while, which obviously set the stage for the last couple of months. Uh, Let's go to 2014. This is an interesting one. Uh, Sarah Fisher at Axios suggested this to us, which was the missing plane, the Malaysian Air 370. And she suggested it because it was one of the first media stories, not just to go viral, but to do so in kind of this all encompassing way. And particularly at CNN. And there's this argument that what we saw with that plane, which was, you know, daily incremental coverage was the blueprint that got used for covering the Trump campaign in 16. No, fascinating. And Dan, this is one of the great unsolved mysteries of our time. Unbelievably, this Boeing plane never been found. A survivor's never been, a remain has never been found. And it's very rare in these days that something remains a total mystery. But we saw the milking of the drama of it. We saw TV anchors in flight simulators. And so it became a participatory coverage that where, and as you point out, it used to be that we get our politics update once a day, uh, maybe. Now we watch it all, experience it all in real time. And that was partially because the CNN, for example, got reward from a ratings perspective with this coverage. In other words, we as a society, we craved this. It's a live reality show. Absolutely. 2015, this is interesting. Uh, so SpaceX this year, this is the year SpaceX completed its first Falcon 9 rocket stage landing, which basically meant its rocket could return to Earth successfully. They got it and they would be able to reuse it. It was a big event because up until this moment, particularly here in America, space and space travel and space exploration, that was considered the province of the government. That was NASA. That wasn't private companies. Is this kind of a part of a big sea change in the way we view not just space, but kind of the role of government? Yeah. And the other side of the coin is the role of moguls that uh, Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson and Elon Musk, these now are the pioneers. They're competition among themselves. And they are both funding these two new technologies, making them possible, Boeing also in it. So a big private sector space race. At the same time, we realize it still is in the public imagination. We've seen that with the way that the President Trump captured the idea of the Space Force as a new branch of the military. It's one of his favorite applause lines at rallies. We still love the idea of going out there. Okay, 2016, there's only one story from 2016, it's obvious, which is the election of Donald Trump. Uh, nothing is ever the same again, et cetera. Mike, let me ask it this way. You know, Trump supporters, you know, including the particular sick of fans like Lou Dobbs, call him the greatest president of all time. Obviously, his detractors call him the worst president of all time. Let me ask this, I guess, kind of three years in. How long do you think it will be till there will be an American consensus on the Trump presidency like there are on lots of other presidents? Obviously, you you don't get 100 percent, but there's general feelings. These were good presidents. These were average presidents. These were bad presidents. How long are we going to have to wait till that emerges among Trump? 
There may never be a consensus on him. Of course, George W. Bush got a second look. We wind up uh, being nostalgic about some of our presidents. It's hard to imagine Trump nostalgia at the moment. The reckoning that I think that we do want to have sooner is dealing with some of the forces that put him in office. If you look across Trump country and if you look at the lack of opportunity in many of those communities, if you look at the worry about jobs being taken by robots, if you look in, at the unwillingness or inability to adjust to a changing country, those are all still very real today. They're maybe more acute today. And those are issues that if you take the personality out of it, it fueled Donald Trump and it's something that our country still has to wrestle with. 2017 is notable for us, you and me, because that's the year that Axios launched. But let me ask you something kind of probably bigger and more important, which was this was really the beginning of the Me Too movement. In October 2017, that's when the Harvey Weinstein story first broke. You know, this kind of does come after 2016 and Trump's access Hollywood tape. From your perspective, though, is Me Too, particularly when you think about kind of corporate slash media America, is this the most important and most notable kind of cultural event, I guess you could say, of the decade? I think that that's perfectly put. Workplace, social behavior has changed forever. There's no going back and both ends of the telescope. One is that women now recognize that they own their story, are empowered to fight against incursions. And men realize that things that behavior that was ignored in the past no longer will be. And a lot of high profile individuals rightly paid a high price for it. And I think it's probably deterred other bad behavior. I'm just curious to tie us into to Axios and, and, and not problems we've had here, but you were a different company before this, obviously at Politico. Do you think the Me Too movement, has that impacted the way you think about building company culture, particularly at a startup, at a startup that doesn't have an institutional memory? Axios started, and we were happy that uh, you were there. Axios started with 30 people. Now we're 180 people. And we've been very intentional about our culture from the beginning. We've uh, emphasized transparency. We've built in diversity and inclusion from the beginning, recognizing that if you get uh, those built in at the top, that it's easier to make sure that it's an integral part of the company as you scale and become mammoth as Axios will be. Mike, 2018, that's the year of the Facebook Cambridge Analytica data, data privacy scandal. We talked about data privacy earlier, but this to me, and tell me if you disagree here, this seemed to be the one that helped kind of turn public and political opinion against big tech after a decade of real laudatory, you know, this is a free, wonderful service. The tech clash was another trend that so few people saw coming, and I'm struck by this list. This is a great list that you put together, that so many of these were not just unforeseen, but unforeseeable. And tech, for sure, had been covered very rosily, as you know, and as you and I were coming up in the beginnings of tech. And it was a real surprise, especially to people in the Valley. I was just out there last week. They still talk about how surprised they were about the way the culture of the government turned on them, and they recognize that that was not a blip, that that is a permanent new condition, that forever there will be greater scrutiny of tech from states, uh, from Washington, and from their consumers. And kind of tying into that is 2019, which for my 
perspective, it was kind of the struggles of some of the highest profile so-called unicorns, these really high-valued private companies that have really changed the way we live. Companies like Uber and Lyft, which went public and really struggled in their IPOs. Some criticism of Airbnb. Obviously, the massive WeWork debacle, even though you know we have employees who work in a WeWork, lots of people work in WeWorks all over the world. What, if anything, does this tell us kind of about that hype? Were we, and I'll say that media generically, were we simply too gullible over the last decade? Well, some people were, including some funders. But in the media, we dig into and cover great stories and try to illuminate them. And the test for us is, do we make sure that what we say is tethered to reality? And there was a lot of great journalism that went into illuminating what was going on at all those companies that you mentioned. Mike Allen, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you can uh, join me again, what, 2029? We'll do this in 10 years? Wishing you a best 2020 to 2029. And thank you, Axios Pro Rata listeners, for joining us in 2019. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great holiday break. And we'll be back next year with another Pro Rata podcast.